Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about Big Ten football. This is Scott Docterman, and today I'm joined by Jesse Teppel, my friend and colleague who covers Wisconsin, and uh, knowing that I also cover the Iowa Hawkeyes, we uh, we, we kind of uh, are on both ends of one of the great rivalries that people don't talk enough about, but uh, for the purpose of this podcast, we'll get into the Hawkeyes and Badgers later on, and Today, Jesse, first of all, I want to welcome you. How you doing, man? I'm hanging in there. Uh, I know I told you on the outset, my, my hair's uh, got some problems right now, not not leaving the house for a couple of days, but uh, I'm ready to get back out there and, and see some football. They've closed down fall camp here at Wisconsin, so we're sort of in the uh, in-between phase getting ready for game week next week. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think everybody's kind of in that pregnant pause between, uh, you know, the end of camp, getting ready for the first game, and both of our teams that we cover have tremendous matchups, uh, Big Ten matchups. Uh, you know, Penn State's going to Wisconsin, and then Iowa's playing Indiana. All, all four teams are ranked in the well, in the top twenty, I believe. So, you know, what a what a way to start the season. And I really wish that would be all we were talking about, but instead we're talking about the Alliance, and I almost want to cue like uh, the Emperor's March from Star Wars in the background while we talk about this, but, um, you know, we it just seems like there's been seismic news story after, one after the other this summer, and yesterday we heard from the ACC, Pac-12, and Big Ten commissioners about the Alliance among the three conferences. It's supposed to involve shared visions on, on governance issues, a collective college football playoff strategy, and a lot of non-conference scheduling among the three. The details were, what I thought, incredibly vague, which most of us expected. But, uh, you know, there's going to be some discussions already among the the Big Ten AD's working group to try to explore some of these issues. Uh, What did you take away? Was there much to take away from what we heard yesterday from the three wise men? Maybe I'm the only one who feels this way, and maybe it's because we've got actual college football on the horizon, but this felt to me like a big nothing burger because it's essentially, if I'm not mistaken, a gentleman's agreement at this point. And so I I know it was done in the aftermath of Texas and Oklahoma bouncing for the SEC, which will be a lot of fun just as a fan of college football. But this doesn't prevent a school from... I don't think trying to to make a move. I mean, obviously they've got veto power now, but I, I just remember like the when I hear the term gentlemen's agreement I, I, and Big Ten football, the last thing I think of is uh, the last time I, I saw that was when Urban Meyer came into the league and there was this so-called gentleman's agreement about teams not going after players that had already committed other schools. And uh, it was it wasn't a real <laughs> it wasn't a real thing. So Ohio State went after the best players and got the best players and 
Um, that's just kind of my initial thought about it. But um, obviously, it would be nice to have a little bit more information, and I'm sure we will down the road. There, to me, there are a lot of questions, and uh, you know, I, I can understand. Hey, they want to consult one another on NCAA governance because I think the NCAA has been somewhat emasculated over time, especially after what happened in the Supreme Court. I think you look at uh, it. So there's a power vacuum and the SEC has certainly tried to fill it thus far with this. And then I also look at what happened, uh, you know, what, you know, what's going to happen with expansion. Is there going to be expansion? What does this mean to the big 12? I can see that they all want to link arms and say, look, you know, the, the SEC was the one who kind of shaped this playoff strategy and they're taking the two most valuable properties from another conference and could completely alter the, the face of college athletics, which has been kind of this careful balance, if you will, for you know quite some time. I understand that then none of these three leagues were even in the same room as this was all going on. So you know it, it makes sense for them to link arms, discuss all these issues. But when it comes to scheduling, this is where, in football in particular, the other sports, you can do whatever you want. But in football, that's where it gets tricky because the ACC has eight league games. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 have nine league games. Uh, are you telling me USC is going to say, okay, we're going to take on – we already take on Notre Dame every year. And now we want to take on Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio State regularly too. Maybe go across the country and – and play a Virginia Tech or something. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be the case. So I think there's going to have to be something meeting in the middle for these uh, scheduling issues to be worked out. Otherwise, I could just see this being a lot of high-minded, uh, you know, backslapping and nothing much more than that. A lot of times in the Big Ten, now that they've expanded to the nine conference games, what we've seen, and certainly, you know, from my perspective, covering Wisconsin, they they have tried to go out and get a, a big time game, and they've got one this year against Notre Dame. But there's a lot of seasons where there's going to be a money game or two money games um, because it is a brutal schedule in the Big Ten where everybody beats each other up, and I do think that there is an imbalance. Clearly, if if you've got conferences that are playing nine games against their league and others playing eight, just because. Uh, everyone's fighting for the same goal, trying to, to get to the college football playoff. And I, I don't know if it helps or hurts to play that extra one. You'd have a better strength of schedule, but you'd have a worse chance of winning. So, uh, I mean, in, in the quest for balance, I certainly think that that's going to be something that we'll have to monitor in the future. Well, you look at what's going on with um, over the last couple of years, especially, you know, Ohio State going on the road and losing at Big Ten West teams like Iowa and Purdue, that cost them. And there is a different vibe and feel to Big Ten games, even against lower tier opponents, than non-conference games against teams that are maybe of equal or even better stature. I mean, you know, you've seen Wisconsin play Oregon State. I've seen Iowa play Pitt and, and Arizona and stuff. And, and I mean, even if those games turn out differently, it's still different than a Big Ten game. And, and so when you're playing nine games and you get that opportunity to go against a pretty good team on the road, watch out. There's a there's a hundred years worth of, of rivalries there. And so Ohio State found that out when it came to Iowa a couple years ago and then Purdue the next year. So And then it cost them because the college football playoff committee has really only taken the eye test. The criteria has been thrown out the window, so I think at this point that's what they need to look at. You look at, um, you know, a couple a couple of times where I mean SEC teams, for instance, this year 
only one is playing ten power five opponents. Everybody else is playing nine or, or nine. I guess is probably the number for all of them. At the Big Ten, all but one are playing at least ten. That is such a different vibe because you're playing at least one more game that can you're on equal ground. You can get tripped up. You can lose versus that layup before rivalry week. And so I, I think the Big Ten and these other schools, well, certainly the Pac-12, because they're both playing nine, they've got to figure out how does this work so we can have an equal opportunity to get to the playoffs so we don't have that accidental loss. But then also with the scheduling uh, component, the team I cover, Iowa, is kind of stuck with nine league games plus Iowa State every year, at least as long as it's a Power 5 team. It, it could change in the future. But, you know, ha- having those 10 games plus, you know, the home gates are really important. I mean, when you're talking about about a $5 million weekend, you know, you need those. And unless you're going to get a neutral site game that escalates. But even then, you're taking money out of your donors' pockets. You know, the people who feed you every year and do things for you, you're saying, yeah, we're going to go play in Chicago. Well, that's that's taking money out of their the hotels and the restaurant industry. So I think that's something that the Big Ten has to be cognizant of. And that's why I think eight games is probably where it'll end up. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. A good year, you get seven home games. That That is a lot of money that you're bringing in. And this is an interesting concept because the, the idea of the football scheduling is focused on elevating the national profile of the teams in all three conferences so that they hold these games across the country in different time zones. And I just wonder, you know, is there a certain level of diminishing returns? I mean, yes, there would be more interest, but for the players and for the programs, um, you know, they've already got a pretty, a pretty nice setup. And so if you've got, there's just, that's just brutal. I think if you've got to play more quality opponents, um, you know, when you get a, a single bye week, I mean, just right now in the Big Ten, I think they, they've already got a, a really tough slate. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to monitor. And again, the, the vagaries uh, leave a lot to be desired, and I hope we get more information in, in the future. I'm just glad that we've got actual college football and Big Ten football very, very soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. Yeah, when you start talking about only one bye week, uh, that that's the case for everybody but two teams and they start with week zero this week and uh, I, I for one I'm thrilled and I think this is a great matchup to kick off the season uh, and that is Nebraska at Illinois originally they were going to play in Dublin uh, but with COVID a game of convenient out plus Illinois uh, do you really want to play Brett Bielema's home opener against a, a divisional team you know, in another continent, a sea away. I, I think it makes sense to bring it back. They'll have a pretty good crowd there. And it's really impactful 
You know, you have you look at both sides. You look first at uh, at Illinois and the era. You know, Brett Bielema. You know, you covered him at, at Wisconsin. I've known him for a long time. He and and wrote about him when he was at Wisconsin, but also his Iowa ties. In fact, it's a story today I quoted him for on the 1991 Iowa team. And then you look at Nebraska, and this sets the tone for what could be a real important year for Scott Frost. So to have that, it's a divisional game. It's in Week 0. I love the Week 0 component. I would love to see it every year, not for everybody, but for a lot of teams, because I think then you could get out in front and and start playing games early. But, um, you know, judged on what you know and and what you've looked into, I mean, what's kind of your thoughts of this matchup going in? Never have I been more excited for a game between two Big Ten teams that had losing records the previous season. (laughs) Um, There are a lot of great storylines. And the obvious right off the top when we talk about Nebraska is that the NCAA is looking into violations with the program, the football program specifically, that the, the coaching staff improperly used analysts and consultants with Coach Scott Frost's knowledge and then even moved workouts off campus last year when those activities were banned during the pandemic. And I, I just, did to, as a refresher, when we were going to discuss this, I went back and watched the five minutes where Trev Alberts, the, the new AD, and, and Scott Frost were trotted out to talk about it. Frost just looked like he'd rather be anywhere else in the world, which I certainly don't blame him. But there's just a ton of pressure on him and on Nebraska's program. We know that he was brought back to be the savior. There was... I don't know whether that's fair or not, but you look at what he's done in three years, and he's 12 and 20 overall, and 9 and 17 in the Big Ten, and Nebraska has not finished better than fifth place in the West. So I almost wonder I mean, what happens if Illinois steamrolls Nebraska? You know, is Scott Frost going to make it through the season? That That's how much pressure there is in a place that Nebraska that has been so used to success for such a long time. And certainly that hasn't been the case recently. But then you've got the Illinois side. And then I'm I'm certainly intrigued by that because, as you said, I did cover Brett Bielma at Wisconsin his last two years here back in 2011 and 2012. And I had an opportunity to talk to him last month in Indianapolis at Big Ten Media Days um, about just – the help that he got by, from Barry Alvarez in, in making that phone call to Illinois AD Josh Whitman. I think Bielema is, to me, he seems sort of like a, a changed guy, a changed coach, more, more mature. And, you know, certainly there's personality traits and characteristics that are going to have carryover and be the same from when he was last in the Big Ten. But, you know, he's got a family now. He's kind of been he's seen what failure looks like by going to Arkansas and, and not making it through his last season there. And I really think he's going to ultimately have success at Illinois. The question would be, what does success look like there? Because they haven't been a great football team lately, certainly not under Lovey Smith, the, uh, the upset against Wisconsin notwithstanding. But my big question is, what's the offense look like? There, there's a lot of mystery about what Illinois is going to look like because Brett has said, and I asked him whether he would use the principles that he had at Wisconsin, which were so successful in the Big Ten, and he said there's a lot of carryover that but probably it's not so much schematically as much as philosophically and doing things the right way and being sustainable and bringing in the right people. Josh Whitman told me he knows that Brett's going to bring a physical style of play to the field. And that has worked in the Big Ten. But I think there's going to be some new wrinkles. So it's going to be a lot of fun as week zero matchups go. 
I think what you'll see with Brett is, and this year is a little different, obviously, because he inherited such a veteran roster. And, and you've got to give kudos to him to bring back 15 super seniors. And they had the opportunity to leave. They had the opportunity to leave and play right away. And they all stayed, or most of them stayed. That's incredible. That doesn't happen, especially at a program like Illinois that, as you said, yeah, they went to a bowl game the year before, but that was one of those gift six and six years that you kind of sneak your way in and, and play. To be able to bring everybody back shows that they, they have a lot of faith in him. And I think you know maybe the changes will be subtle. Uh, I think he'll probably have more of a, um, a running element out of quarterback, I think, is probably something that he'll do that's different than what he did at Wisconsin where he had more – caretaker type quarterbacks uh you know scott tolzine for instance not russell wilson but but you know guys like that and that he got a gift in that one too um but you know the the thing is i know about brett is he understands this division and this area better than maybe just about anybody in here and that is he understands that in the West, in order to succeed, and this is the program you cover and the program I cover that we've seen for a generation, and that is it's a line of scrimmage area and it's a developmental area. And who can who can boss the other teams around on, on the line of scrimmage, who can develop their teams, and then have, of course, some good recruits to go along with it, are generally the teams that are very, very successful and win divisional championships. And Nebraska's never figured it out, and Brett understands it, I think, P.J. Fleck is getting there. Um, certainly, Pat Fitzgerald has, has mastered that at times, and Iowa and Wisconsin embody it. But Illinois has an opportunity to make some inroads. What And as you said, what success looks like for the Illini, that's hard to say. But I think for probably what it starts with is put themselves in a position to get to bowl games and compete with Iowa and Wisconsin on a consistent basis, which it hasn't done. I mean, it's beaten Iowa once since 2000, I think. So it, it's, you know, and I, I, so I do think that that's probably the goal, or at least the goal for the next year or two, is to be in a position where you can compete for a bowl game and then be able to slug it out with those two teams um, and play four-quarter football. And I do think he'll be able to get there. Like, to me, that's the the absolute baseline level of expectation when you bring Brett into a program like Illinois is to be a consistent, competitive team and to start to make bowl games and maybe put a scare into the the Wisconsins and the Iowas and, and then eventually beat them and, and try to see if you can work your way up the West Division. But you're right. There's a lot of veteran guys coming back. And, and Illinois just named Brandon Peters the, the starting quarterback. That's a guy who's going into his sixth year of college football, his third year at Illinois. He's a multi-year starter. And Bielema has said that he's got a live arm, and he feels like Brett obviously also coached in the NFL. He was just most recently with the the Giants, but he was with the Patriots as well. And he talked about with reporters recently that he's been in the NFL, and he feels like Peters has a special arm, a live arm, an NFL-type arm that you know, a 10-yard out route or a 60-yard post, he has all the throws. Now, I don't necessarily know that it's always come together for Peters at Illinois, but but that's a good starting point. And I do think that it'll still be fairly run-heavy because they've got a number of running backs that they can use. So it is awfully intriguing. Um, and uh, I, I do think that he's going to help to turn around that program. Again, what that turnaround looks like remains to be seen. And that's what makes the opposite side of this game so unique. I mean, in some ways, if they were playing, say, Purdue, 
you would have a different angle and it would be important, but not to this degree because, as you mentioned, Nebraska's history and tradition, they they were in, joined the league 10 years ago, and they've really been, what, 43 and 41, I want to say, um, since they joined the league in, in league play. That's not what Jim Delaney was buying to make them the 12th team. They wanted Nebraska to, to compete for championships, and, and Nebraska uh, won, has won one division and then got beat 70-31 to 31 in that championship game by a third-place Wisconsin team because the top two teams were ineligible. I think you were there in Indianapolis to watch yes, that track meet. Yeah. Watched uh, Melvin Gordon run for 200 yards on like nine carries as the third string running back. It was uh, one of the craziest, uh, most ridiculous blowouts I've ever seen. I know. I mean, it seemed like every play uh, that the Badgers offensive line had the Huskers five, six yards down the field. And then when you had that trio of running backs, uh, it was just Melvin Gordon and James White. And it was just, I mean, they were just killing them. And, and, but Nebraska really hasn't set an identity for itself. It, it hasn't been able to really match the physicality of Wisconsin and or Iowa. Um, they have huge losing streaks to both of them. I think it's, what, eight now to the Badgers. It's six to the Hawkeyes. Uh, they're, they, they've been in a few competitive games there, but for the most part, even like last year, they beat Penn State, and then they think they won the Super Bowl, then they lose by 18 at home to Illinois, and an eventually fired coach, and then they play a pretty good game against Iowa. So they've kind of batted around. And so I think the the, the one difference between Scott Frost, though, and some of the other uh, coaches that they've had there in recent years is everybody there wants them to succeed. I think in some cases with Mike Riley or with Bo Pelini, there was a segment of the fan base, just get them out of here. We're tired of it. I don't sense that here with Scott Frost. I think everybody wants him to succeed because he's the prodigal son. However, if you get into this year, what's next? I mean, if they can't do anything, if, if they're 5-7 and seven again. Right. I feel like he's got to have the longest leash that a Nebraska coach has had in a while. Um, it's funny because I think of the Bo Pelini era. He won a lot of games and and – you know what Nebraska wouldn't give for an eight or a nine win season these days, but that's the way it goes. And I, I'm thinking about what the team has to work with. Uh, the there's not a lot of returning experience in the in the that wide receiver. I mean they've got they've got Adrian Martinez back, but if you look at who they've got at receiver, like Wandale Robinson's at Kentucky now, and so their their top receiver had 13 catches for 122 yards and one touchdown last year. Um, and I know the running game was better, but they've just been too inconsistent. And especially, I mean, again, we're we're coming at this from the perspective of covering teams that have <laughs> had a lot of success against Nebraska. Nebraska defensively, a lot of times, has just been beaten down, certainly by a program like Wisconsin. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, in his three years here, from 2017 to 2019, ran for like 200-plus yards every time they played Nebraska. They just haven't been able to stop anybody. So... You've got to be tougher and you've got to be more physical to to rise to the top in the Big Ten. But right now, that seems like so far away. It's just can it's sort of like Illinois. You know what is what is the goal at Nebraska? Can you put yourself in position to be competitive in every game and to make a bowl game? That's where Nebraska is at right now because they again they haven't had a winning record under Frost yet in three years. The last time what they had a they went to a bowl game was 2016, and uh, that was with Mike Riley. And then they've been. 
dreadful in a lot of those you know years. And then last year they, they times looked okay, but it, this is this is just fascinating because I don't think it's so much of a you know what what are their ultimate goals because Illinois's ultimate goals are probably different than Nebraska's. Illinois's uh, because it hasn't had any kind of measured success, consistent success since. Dick Buckus was there in the early '60s. That it's so it's kind of hard to really gauge what a, what a consistent program would be. But at Nebraska, obviously they anticipate they are there for championships to compete for championships, and, uh, and 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 I think they're capable of that as a program. They've got enough history, certainly money, uh, they they access to good players. It's really about coaching in a lot of cases, and and then at, you know the attrition level. So I don't see, I. I like with them this year, I think they're capable of winning some games. But then, then they also have some really—they have a tough schedule. I mean, they play Oklahoma in the non-conference season, which they try to get out of. And then uh, after that, you look at their final three games uh, at Ohio State. At um, no, I'm sorry, at home against Ohio State at Wisconsin, then at home against Iowa. I mean, th- those are three teams that at this point are way better. That's not to say they can't upset somebody, but. They're way better than Nebraska is today, and and so even if they feel pretty good at being six and three going into those final three, they could very well be six and six. And how does that feel at the end of the year? And and so I I, I think they got to get to a bowl game. To me, I think that's the bottom line. If they don't get to a bowl game after year four of this, you've got to do some major reevaluation of what you what you get out of this coaching staff. I would agree. I'm sure you saw on social media recently the uh, the I had forgotten about this, but the cover of Sports Illustrated from 10 years ago when Nebraska was entering the league and it said something to the effect of the Big Ten's new bully. Um, and all they've been, for the most part, is is they've been bullied. <laughs> um, it's just it's just wild the way things have turned out in this decade. Um, you know, we're talking about realignment and things like that, and sometimes it doesn't always work out the way that you think it will, and Nebraska seems to be a prime example. But this is where they are now, and they've got to figure out how to be more competitive and... Um, you know, Scott Frost is going to have this season, but I, I do wonder that at a certain point, if he can't make it happen, even if he does have all the support, if you've got to move on at a certain point. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, that kind of brings us to what's the kind of the consensus best two teams in the West, and that's the teams we cover. And and last year, by the end of the year, I think the team I covered was probably as good as any team in the Big Ten, short of Ohio State, and maybe even could have given Ohio State all it wanted in Indianapolis, kind of because they were a little bit better version, I thought, than what uh, Northwestern was even at the end of the year. Uh, 
That said, uh, Wisconsin did not exactly come to that game healthy, at, you know, at season's end against Iowa. Um, you know, I remember I think it was Cole Van Lannen drove in the day of the game because of the because of COVID testing and protocol. Uh, receivers out, running backs out. Um, Graham Mertz did not have his best performance he's ever had. Certainly not like he did against Illinois. So that said, I think both teams are kind of on equal ground going into this year and. And I'm really anxious to see how that turns out. But why don't you kind of talk a little bit about the Badgers, what your expectations are, and maybe uh, how things set up for them, especially going into the season against a, a really quality opponent right off the bat. Well, I do expect this Wisconsin team to win the Big Ten West. I know that uh, Cleveland.com handles the, the preseason Big Ten media vote. Not that that's <laughs> uh, always right or, or even yeah, right we, half we the time. You can't vote in it, but, though. <laughs> but it's a talking point. <laughs> uh I just think it's a it's it's a talking point to note that 29 of 34 voters picked Wisconsin to win the West. Um, but you're right. Like last year was it was the most disjointed season I've ever covered. Certainly, it was a total mess for Wisconsin. They 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 lit up Illinois, as you said. Graham Mertz had the most incredible game: 20 for 21, 248 yards, five touchdowns. Looked like a Heisman Trophy candidate, and legitimately was in the conversation of that after first week buzz about the Heisman. And the next day, he tested positive for COVID-19. He went into the Big Ten's 21-day return-to-play protocol. Wisconsin's had a big outbreak, had to cancel two games, Nebraska and Purdue. And by the time Mertz came back, the offense was a shell of itself. Uh, they played Michigan. They destroyed Michigan, despite having eight players that were in the two-deep not available. But their top two wide receivers, Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor, suffered head injuries. And Graham had a, an injury to his throwing shoulder. He got uh, a head injury against Minnesota later in the year. It was just, it was wild. And, and, but you look now and they've got so many players back that I think there's a feeling around the, this program that like th- we have the horses to potentially do something special. Now you got to go out and do it. And special for Wisconsin means not only winning the West and getting back to the big 10 championship, but actually beating presumably Ohio state in the conference championship game. But you've got Mertz back. I expect him to be much, much better, particularly because he's got his full complement of weapons. Um, he's got a new quarterbacks coach, which I think is a bit of an, maybe outside of Wisconsin, underrated storyline. Paul Christ is the quarterbacks coach now, the head coach at Wisconsin. John Budmeyer, the previous quarterbacks coach, left to become offensive coordinator at Colorado State. Christ was the quarterbacks coach when he was the offensive coordinator here, leading guys like Scott Tolzien and Russell Wilson. And I think that Graham's going to be a lot better um, just in the in the regard of not having to think so much. I think John Budmeyer was was very technical in the way he taught. And with Chris, it sounds as though Mertz is a lot more freed up to just go play. And he's got the top four receivers coming back, including Davis and Pryor. He's got an all-Big Ten tight end with Jake Ferguson. You've got multiple starters on the offensive line. I think this is a quintessentially Wisconsin O-line. The big question is at running back. They've got Jalen Berger, who never carried more than 15 times last season, and Ches Malusi, a Clemson transfer. Those are going to be your top two running backs. But defensively, most of the guys, um, at all the starters at linebacker are back. Most of the secondary is back. And I think the defensive line is going to be better based on what I've seen. And we had an opportunity to watch eight fall camp practices the last two weeks. Defensive line's answered a lot of questions so I'm not talking this team up to be like the 85 Bears I still don't think it can beat Ohio State (laughs) but maybe they'll give themselves a chance but I I think they will be the best team in the in the West I don't dispute any of that Um, and I think they are right up there I think sometimes what happens with the sport we cover and this is certainly not you but I think across the board is 
that every time we kind of go through the season and then at the end of it we kind of drop and then we revert back to all of our you know past tropes and and I think a lot of that deals with Michigan or you know why is Michigan getting any votes whatsoever they were the worst team in the Big Ten by far and away last year they could not have quit more without holding up a sign more evidently than they did against Wisconsin and then deciding not to play against Ohio State and Iowa um, I think that's that's the case and I think in a lot of cases you know Texas is kind of the same way they got a new coach but yet they're ranked how did that happen well well they're Texas and we they got a lot of great athletes well that's where we are and, and in some ways I, I think some people have forgotten exactly what Iowa did over the last six games which is they won five of those games by at least 14 points they beat Penn State by 20 on the road they beat Ohio, um, Wisconsin by 21 um, there was only one game where it was a close, really, in the fourth quarter. I mean, it, so Iowa returns everybody in its secondary. Probably, in my opinion, the most impactful linebacker, uh, Jack Campbell. And uh, does have some holes up front, but I think they are replaceable. Likewise, on offense, you go, uh, we line up Spencer Petras and, and Graham Mertz. Both of them threw nine touchdowns. Both of them threw five interceptions. Both of them were incredible against Illinois. Uh, both of them even had the same number of yards per attempt at 6.4. Spencer Petrus was not a good quarterback last year. He was an average quarterback at times, played well, but it was very inconsistent. He was a sophomore. Um, he had no prior ability, you know, no training camp, no summer. So I think he'll be better. And they've got the best center in the country. They've had the best running back they've had since probably Sean Green. So they've got a really good tight end and Sam Laporta that's kind of fits that Iowa tradition and and a couple of really good wide receivers so I expect these two teams to be they are the best on paper and do I think they're going to win it I think one of them will and if if it's not one of them I don't see them falling to like beyond third in the division maybe you know we always over always forget about Northwestern I don't I think they Northwestern lost too much um you know, maybe a Minnesota, but I look at Minnesota's defense and went, uh, that was uh, that was bad. That was like playing 11 on 9 last year. Wait, they were playing Nebraska. I just can't do Nebraska. And I just don't think Purdue and Illinois have the, the horses to go to run the, the race. They could beat somebody. Purdue always beats Iowa, it seems like. But uh, Whereas Wisconsin never loses to Purdue. So I think these two teams have the opportunity. The game's in Madison, so I think that automatically skews a little bit towards um, the Badgers, but you know the last time they played, it was a two-point game right down to the wire, and a two-point conversion ended up about three inches too short. So I mean, I, I love these games anyway because they're just like giant fist fights. I think they're they're great theater, and I like that style of football. Uh, and uh, and I do think, and I don't know what you know, maybe you comment to this, but whoever wins that game, and, and if they do win the division. I think they actually have the best chance to go and dethrone Ohio State that we've seen in a long time because Ohio State in the past, you know, you saw it when they had Chase Young or when you had, they had, uh, you know, Justin Fields and players that were just too good to overcome. Now, C.J. Stroud could end up being just like him, you know, a quarterback or Haskell Garrett could be the best defensive lineman on the field. But I also think maybe they, they've got a shot. And, and, you know, because they do have up-and-coming quarterbacks and they have up-and-coming skill position players. And, and so I, I don't know if, you know, it's fair to say that they're the second, third best teams in the league. But I think that's probably my opinion right now. 
Well, when it comes to Ohio State, it's an interesting conversation with Wisconsin because I, I Wisconsin hasn't actually beaten Ohio State since 2010, which was the famous Devin Gilreath uh, or Dave Gilreath taking the the kickoff back for the the touchdown at the start, and Ohio State was number one, and everyone stormed the field. But they've been close recently. I mean, I go back to the 2017 Big Ten Championship, and Wisconsin was down six at midfield with a couple minutes left and a chance to go to the college football playoff. You know, they played in the 2019 Big Ten Championship, and Wisconsin was up at halftime, sort of faded at the end. So Wisconsin's been close, but the trajectory of the program has changed so much in the last 30 years, right? It's not about getting to a bowl game and it's not even about winning the big 10 West anymore. It's about, can you beat Ohio state and get yourself in position to maybe reach the college football playoff? That's the, that's the one threshold that Wisconsin has not been able to eclipse at this point. Can they do it? Yes. I mean, they are coached. Well, they execute a game plan well, and they often put themselves in position to compete it's just that Ohio State generally has better players across the board, and you know you can debate the merits of recruiting rankings and all that. That's a, that's another conversation. But Ohio State has one of the best classes every year, and and oftentimes I do think that shows up on the field in matchups against Wisconsin. I talk about this all the time, but let's say a you know a three star cornerback gets hurt for Wisconsin, you might have a walk on in there. I mean, like if someone gets hurt at Ohio State, there's another four or five star guy in there. That does make the difference over the course of a, a 60-minute football game. So Wisconsin has elevated its recruiting profile in the last three classes, and I think that there's the thought that maybe that can help the Badgers get over the hump. Graham Mertz is right in the thick of that, the highest-rated quarterback they've ever had. So, yes, they can give themselves a chance, but ultimately I think it's like you've got to see it before you can believe it now with Wisconsin uh, And when it comes to Ohio State. For as dominant as the Badgers have been in the West, and this isn't just a Wisconsin problem. Look at what Ohio State's done against the entire Big Ten recently. They kick everyone's butt, basically. Uh, but someone's got to get in there and, and make their mark and dethrone them. And so, to your point, both Wisconsin and Iowa, I think, have the potential to do that. But you got to go out and do it. Well, I don't get to see Ohio State very often. Uh, they've played a total of, what, four times since 2006 uh, because of all the different divisions you know, they were an opposite Legends leaders, and they were opposite East-West. Every time there's something that gets, you know, COVID year, their game gets called off. I mean, it just doesn't matter. It, 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 but, but So the, the last four times I've seen those two teams play, in 17, Iowa won decisively in shocking fashion, I think. Uh, we can all agree to that. 2013, it was tied in the fourth quarter, um, and then Ohio State pulled away just a little bit by 10. Uh, and then at uh, 9, it was an overtime field goal that decided the Big Ten. In 2010, Terrell Pryor's uh, last-minute heroics, you know, won with like a minute 05 left. So I think there's really uh, – I think these teams, when they go into those games, I mean, they think they're well-prepared. I think they have a good style that sometimes, uh, you know, when you have a good tight end, when you have a physical offensive line and a physical defense, it, it – Against a team like Ohio State, it gives you a, a, literally a puncher's chance. Um, I, I think, that, as you said, there's no question that what Wisconsin and Iowa and, and teams like that run into is when you have a little bit of injury issues, that your number two may be that, just that, that smart walk-on guy, that guy that just 
you know, he's been in the program four to five years, does everything he asks, but you're not that those two inches, that that point three second speed is shows up. And that's where you lose those games and and so that I think that's what those teams have to avoid is putting themselves in a position to where that matters. Uh, but that said, right off the top, Wisconsin and Iowa have great games. I mean, uh, you know, Penn State at Camp Randall, um, Indiana coming to, to Kinnick. My only question is, and this is the Big Ten's Fox issue, why are we putting these games at noon on a Saturday in the hottest time of the year? That should be Camp Randall at night, man. I want to see I want to see jump around when it's dark. I don't want to see jump around when the students just arrived. <laughs> well, I've so, got good I don't news know. For what, you. what do you think? I've got great news for you because Wisconsin's week 2 game against Eastern Michigan is at 6 p.m. So, <laughs> yeah, uh it probably should right. be flipped. I mean, from a from a from a journalist perspective, an 11 a.m. game it doesn't get much better, but no one cares about what I think. Um you know, a lot of times at Wisconsin, the, the the student section is not full, not even close to full at 11 a.m. They're uh, they're still trickling in probably after a long Friday night. Now, I don't know what necessarily to expect in the opener simply because of last year. I don't know if there's going to be more of a fervor to, to get there. I mean, it is such a big game. But last year they played in front of cardboard cutouts. I do know this. Jump around after the third quarter. It's going to be lit <laughs> because it's uh, it's it's just like Iowa has has the wave with the Children's Hospital. It's a, it's a very special tradition that Wisconsin has with jump around. And I mean, it was so special that uh, I wrote a story recently about this. There's a couple fans that live in a Madison suburb and, and they just started to do jump around on, in their driveway. And it and it spread like wildfire until 100 plus radio stations across the state were planted every Saturday at 3 p.m. This was in the middle of a pandemic with no football. So can you imagine how insane it's going to be when there's 80,000 fans at Camp Randall? Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and, and it's even more fun that we we do have a great game in week one. So it's a good test. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Iowa's game's at, at middle of the day, 2.30, so it's right, it comes right after that on BTN. And then the following week, it gets kind of a weird time, 3.30 Central Time against Iowa State on the road. And in what promises to be the greatest Cyhawk game in, in series history. Um, they've never met as ranked opponents. Iowa has been ranked way more times than Iowa State in that iteration, but uh, they have a chance to be ranked, both of them, and Iowa's won every year since 2014, so there's it's going to be pretty stacked as well. So maybe I'll get a chance to watch Eastern Michigan and uh in Wisconsin, when I'm writing in the press box after uh, after that game, but no. Well, it's been great catching up with you, Jesse. Uh, and uh, always, we want to thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending some time with us and adding us to your podcasting rotation. Please subscribe, rate, and review us five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite prospects. So, for Jesse Temple, this is Scott Doctorman, and we will talk to you again next week. Well done.